So I want to know who the heck is Morbius and what is the deal with these Oscar nominations? All this and more on Comics and Cinema. Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of Comics and Cinema. I'm your host Alex Klein and on today's episode we are going to have a quick and brief discussion on the new Morbius trailer that uh, came out today. Who, who's Moby? Is that It's Moby. It's a new movie with Moby. And then afterwards uh, I am going to go into a full breakdown on the Oscar nominations. But what you're going to get here that you're not going to get anywhere else is the Academy actually emailed me today no joke they emailed me they said they said Alex we made a terrible a grave error something that uh, we didn't anticipate we made some huge mistakes and we are now asking you to revise and edit our Oscar nominations list and uh, I have decided to take on the challenge so tune in and stick around I know I already did that intro but uh, stick around after we talk about Morbius I'm going to be going into all of the Oscar nomination categories I have a piece of paper here with hundreds and hundreds of scribbles on it uh, as we dive right into my personal favorite time of the year but Morbius this is uh, this is interesting so I actually I should probably get some information on Morbius for those of you that don't know uh, okay so Morbius is a he's a comic book character he's a Marvel character a Spider-Man villain, uh, also technically an anti-hero. Ooh, interesting. J.K. Simmons is going to be in this movie with J. Jonah Jameson. Okay, so uh, Morbius comes to, it says, expected July 31st. So this is a, it's going to be a summer blockbuster. And after watching this trailer, I'm actually really kind of excited for this movie i uh it looked good and uh some of it looked like venom which has me concerned but a lot of it didn't look like venom and that's a a cause for celebration so uh where we're at right now i'm looking at this here so it's going to be directed by daniel espinoza who for those of you who don't know uh and no shock there if you don't um it looks like he's known for the director of snabba cash Life, that's that movie with Ryan Reynolds. Safe House, which looks like it's also uh, a movie with Ryan Reynolds. Am I right? Yep, yep. He he likes maybe Ryan. Child 44 is the other one that he's in. So maybe Ryan Reynolds will be in this movie. You heard it here first. Uh, certainly possible. Uh, but interesting. Okay, here's here's what we've got in terms of cast according to IMDb. There's uh, Adria Arjona playing Martine Bancroft. Jared Harris in an unknown role. Rumored J.K. Simmons, Dr. Michael Morbius is played by Jared Leto, uh, Matt Smith is in it and is playing a Loxius Crown, I don't know who that is, Michael, Michael Keaton's in it, and if you've seen the trailer, um, you'll know that Michael Keaton is in it, uh, so, and, and obviously, you know, if you haven't seen the trailer, then oops, but uh, I won't tell you what role Michael Keaton is playing in this movie, uh, but I'm just reading off IMDb. I'm not seeing anything else. It looks like a lot of Nobel Pro- people playing Nobel Prize winners. 
What the heck? There's a long list of uncredited Nobel Prize winners. Interesting, but there's 69 uh, cast members at this point. Written by uh, Matt Sazma, did the screenplay along with Burke Sharpless, but then based on uh, comic book creations by Roy Thomas and Gil Kane. So uh, the long short of it, or interestingly enough, here's here's what IMDb says. Biochemist Michael Morbius tries to cure himself of a rare blood disease, but he inadvertently infects himself with a form of vampirism instead. Uh, And that's pretty accurate for the comic books. Morbius was not one of my favorite uh, people, I guess you could say, in Spider-Man. Just in the sense of, like, I was never like, oh, I gotta go see, I gotta go read more Morbius. But uh, I always was interested in reading him in my DK uh, Ultimate Guide to Spider-Man. And I happen to have that guide in front of me right now, so I'm going to just read you the quick little synopsis for any of you out there who aren't as sure about Morbius. Uh, So Morbius has been cursed to a life of stomach-churning horror. He thirsts for human blood and will die unless his monstrous appetite is satisfied. Before he acquired the characteristics of a vampire, uh, Dr. Michael Morbius was a Nobel Prize-winning biochemist from a small European country. He learned that he was dying from a rare disease that was consuming his blood cells. With the aid of his friend Emil Nikos, he attempted to find a cure. Together, they produced an experimental formula derived from the DNA of vampire bats. They also tried to stimulate the creation of more blood cells in Morbius' system by subjecting him to electrical shock treatments. The process saved his life, but at a terrible cost. The electric shock treatment somehow caused the bat formula to mutate within the body of Dr. Michael Morbius. The quiet and unassuming scientist was suddenly transformed into a creature that uh, resembled a supernatural vampire. His skin lost all color, assuming a deathly white tint. His teeth grew into scalpel-sharp fangs, and he now has an animalistic and uncontrollable lust for human blood. He also possessed superhuman strength. Unable to control himself, Morbius attacked and killed his friend Nikos. As he was about to feed on him, Morbius was suddenly horrified by what he had become. He ran from the dead body and has been running ever since. Um... Yeah, and obviously he, like I said, he was a he was a vampire villain. He's a vigilante vampire. There's a little note here. Realizing that he might never be free of his bloodlust, Vorbius attempted to use his power to help people. Instead of choosing his victims at random, he chose to protect the innocent and only feed on the guilty. He stalked street predators, murderers, and other monsters, dispensing his unique form of justice. <laughs> I'll say unique. He's a vampire. <laughs> He's uh, this is uh, Marvel. Uh, it's Marvel's Twilight. Uh, no, this is actually the trailer itself uh, looked really good and actually was very on point to that description in in the Spider-Man uh, Ultimate Guide. It uh, it looked interesting. Obviously, I'm a big fan of Jared Leto. Uh, I did not like Jared Leto as the Joker, but uh, his other performances have been great. And uh, I really liked the way that he's kind of playing uh, Michael Morbius. So we don't get to see a whole lot. But when we do get that brief clip of Morbius, he definitely looks scary. But you guys aren't here to talk about that. You guys are here to talk about Michael Keaton. So uh, before we move any further, uh, for any of you who do not want to be spoiled, if for some reason you haven't seen the trailer yet and you don't know who Michael Keaton's playing... Uh, then you have been warned. You can pause this and come back, or you can skip ahead to the Oscars. That is coming. Ooh, it's the Oscars, guys. Uh, No, so Michael Keaton is in this, and it it looks as though he's the vulture again. 
and uh, very strange because Sony very bravely is claiming to be the studio that brought fans and audiences Spider-Man Homecoming and Spider-Man Far From Home. Uh, yet they, they forgot to mention the other studio that kind of helped bring those characters to life, Marvel Studios. But that's okay. Uh, Sony's p- playing the long game, and I'm actually kind of nervous about it because I'm, I'm nervous and I'm excited. This, seeing Michael Keaton at the end of this, he, he's not in the Vulture Gear or anything, and he, he has a couple of little fun quips, but uh, honestly, the coolest part of this trailer, before we get into that, is uh, there's a scene where they're kind of describing his powers, and he's like jumping from a wall in a room, and there's this like purple mist around him. That looked awesome. I thought that looked super cool. Really excited to see his power set and th- and that whole bit of it. But the whole Michael Keaton thing, I honestly, I'm not even going to go into what I think is going to happen with him. I, I don't know. I'm just more interested in what is going to happen with this whole, it's the MCU, it's not the MCU. And honestly... Who cares at this point? They're going to make their movie. Sony's going to make their movie, and they're going to try to ride on the coattails of Marvel as best as they can. And you know what? Fine. They've got the rights to Spider-Man. They can do that. They can put Michael Keaton in as the vulture. Disney can't say a word about that. So if that's going to cause more people to come out and see the movie, great. Uh, If that means the movie is going to do great, that's also great. But at the same time, uh, eh, uh, I don't know if I want, uh, at the same time, I kind of don't want the movie to do good because if the movie does really well, then they're just going to keep re-upping their own license of Spider-Man and they're going to say, ah, we don't need to sell this to Marvel. And so it's going to be a domino effect. And what's funny is I wonder if Marvel's going to kick themselves in the end when they go, man, we should have never even worked with Sony because, um, or maybe it would have been, man, we should have just bought Spider-Man from them after the Amazing Spider-Man because, or Amazing Spider-Man 2, because they've essentially propped Marvel Studios, and no one can argue differently for this, despite the fact that this is a Sony, quote-unquote, Sony property, licensed to Sony, Sony's the one who, who put the movie out, uh, it's a Marvel movie, right? Like, people go to see Spider-Man Homecoming or Far From Home, that movie's in the MCU. So they're going to go, oh, you know, Iron Man's in it, Thor's in it, that's great. But now they're going to think that for this movie too, and they're going to go see it. And again, great, if it's a good movie, that's awesome. I'm, I'm glad that, that they're able to do that. But Sony is now probably thinking, well, if we just put these characters in our movie, no one's going to know the difference, and then we're going to get heightened box office numbers, and we're not going to need Marvel anymore, which to me sounds like a short-term strategy for success and not necessarily a long-term strategy because uh, those types of gimmicks are really good for getting people to go see the movie opening weekend and to go see the movie opening weekend of the first movie. So if opening weekend comes around and these people go and see the movie and it's bad, word of mouth is going to go around and the movie's going to probably bomb. Or, uh, you know, the movie does well with with him, with Vulture in it, and, uh, you know, does well enough to warrant a sequel, and then they make a sequel that doesn't have it, well, they're going to have to step up their game because if they don't, if they just keep relying on the, uh, I guess, the footprint that Marvel Studios provided them and the, the props that Marvel Studios gave them to essentially prop up their, their film studio for Spider-Man, I don't think that's going to last very long, unless, of course, again, that these movies continue to be really, really good. And so far, they haven't been. Venom was really bad. There's people out there that love it. Great. That's awesome. I'm really happy that someone loved it because no one loved it. I I thought. I certainly didn't like it. My brother sort of liked it. Go figure. But um, but yeah, it was... uh, 
I don't know. So we'll see. That's that's kind of the only thoughts that I have on it right now at this moment. But um, from the trailer, it looked interesting. I definitely am going to be going to see that in theaters. I like Jared Leto. I like vampires. I like supernatural and I like superheroes. So if there's a little bit of that in this movie, I think it could end up being a really cool movie. But at the same time, like if all you're doing is going to have like a 10 minute or even a, like a five-minute thing with Vulture in it, you need to make sure that the rest of that movie is good because if you're going to put all of your energy and time into, ooh, this movie's connected to the MCU, then uh, people are going to probably see that. There's going to be some that don't, and that's sad, but uh, for those of us that have been following it and know the intricacies and differences, it's going to be kind of upsetting. So uh, that's Morbius. And again, if you haven't seen the trailer and you were just kind of trying to get my thoughts on it, is... Uh, Check it out. Check it out and see if you like it. Uh, I, again, I thought it was really cool. And with that preview, that uh, that trailer out of the way, we're going to jump right into the movies. I want to preface this with as well, I, I didn't have an episode this weekend because uh, over the last week, the only movie I actually saw in theaters was uh, 1917. I saw that on Thursday. Incredible movie. If you haven't seen it or you've got an inkling to go see it, go see it. It's been nominated for quite a few Oscars. And uh, it's just, it's a phenomenal piece of, of cinema, I would say. Uh, it's all its all one take. I, I had a lot of fun guessing where the actual takes took place, like anytime the camera passed by something or there was a little bit of darkness. But overall, if you're not paying attention to that, it's literally one take movie. And it's its amazing how it is. It's, it's a very cool way to kind of follow the two soldiers and uh, see what their journey is as they try to stop the attack that is uh, imminent uh, if if they don't if they don't get the, these orders to have the attack stopped uh, a lot of people are going to die and so it's literally just like every there's a set piece and then they're on the run and then there's a set piece and they're back on the run and they're going oh it's just it was awesome it was a really great experience and i, did, I saw it in dolby so if you haven't seen it or, or were wondering check it out in dolby too but be careful there were a couple of scenes that actually hurt my eyes because the camera was panning in such a way it was moving really quickly and my eyes couldn't follow it because i was kind of close up to the screen so if you've got bad eyes or you've got you know have eye issues maybe sit a little further back but it was only in dolby where i was at it wasn't in uh, imax and i really wanted to see it in imax so i'm hoping that it comes to an imax theater and i can go see it a second time which i, I definitely want to do but with that said i'd like to welcome you all to the oscar nomination discussion for 2020 this is for the movies that came out in 2019 and uh, I just want to say, too, you know, some people, uh, we said this with uh, in the Star Wars podcast, but uh, I always think to myself when I'm listening to a podcast, why should I pay attention to this person? Huh? Why should I listen to you over, over, over anyone else? And so uh, in order to establish a little bit of credibility with you guys, for those of you that maybe needed it, for those of you that didn't need it, thank you for being so loyal. Thank you for not questioning a single thing about me. I'm just kidding. You should always be questioning those that you listen to. Uh, but uh, I found a really cool Oscar reminder list from 2019. That is, a, it's this checkmark box list of every single movie that was submitted to the Oscars uh, for consideration. Uh, it includes things like crazy things. These are movies I haven't seen, but stuff like Isn't It Romantic? Uh, I mean, there's ones in here where I was like, wow, they really thought that they could submit this and, and, and something would happen. Congrats to them. Uh, there's about, I think they said, uh, I, I'm going to may just look up what it is. It may have been 300. I feel like it's not 
maybe 300 movies. I'm not exactly sure. But out of this list, this is essentially all of the movies that came out last year or movies that were submitted for Oscar approval. So, Alex, how many of these movies have you seen? Well, I counted and tallied. I've seen 88 of these movies. So uh, this year alone, then, I guess you could say, in theaters, and some of these came out on Netflix, but uh, 88. So I've seen a lot of movies. That goes from, in the A's, we've got Ad Astra, Aladdin, Alita, Always Be My Maybe, Annabelle Comes Home, The Art of Self-Defense, all the way down to Waves and Us, The Upside, Uncut Gems. I've seen a lot of movies, and this is the same for every single year I try. My goal is to see as many movies as I can in theaters, especially the ones that I know are going to be Oscar Oscar bait or Oscar picks, even though I don't appreciate those as much because they're Oscar bait. Uh, but I try to do that because my goal is whenever the Oscar nominations come out, I want to have seen everything. Uh, otherwise, I have to then go run to the theater to catch up. And there's a couple instances in here, but in terms of the best pictures, I've seen them all, which is great. So here's here's the list. What I'm going to do is uh, we're going to go into each category. And each of these categories, I'm going to list off what the movies were that were nominated or the actors or whatever. I'm going to list of all the ones that the, the Academy nominated. And then I will give you my feedback and some discussion on my thoughts for those uh, and that category in general. And then I will let you know what the revised category looks like so that you know, you're know you right there uh, with me when I send these back to the Academy and let them know what the new nominations are going to be. So we're going to start... Uh, ooh, should we... We should maybe make this a little bit like... Uh, yeah, we're going we're gonna to do this just like the... Uh, just like the Oscars, we are going to start with the other, like, I'm going to just go to the very back of this. I just printed off a list of all of them. So we're going to be starting with the best visual effects. Now, this category is a, uh, this is like a, uh, a give a dog a bone category because there are a lot of really great movies out there that are nominated, that are, have really great visual effects, great stories, but the Academy just doesn't care. So they they throw the dog a bone by giving this visual effects category. And again, it's been around for a long time. I'm certainly not complaining. I'm just saying that, um, you know, it's, it's Avengers Endgame, as you all may know, only got one nomination in the Oscars, and it was for Best Visual Effects. Whether it wins that or not is, is uh, left up to uh, the voters, I suppose. But uh, just a bummer otherwise. And, and thankfully, though, the, the Academy has been so generous to let me do it. I got to tell you right now, the uh, Avengers Endgame is going to be in a lot more categories. So buckle up. But for best visual effects, we've got Avengers Endgame, The Irishman, 1917, The Lion King, and Star Wars Rise of Skywalker. Uh, good list, I would say. It's overall good list. I don't really have any complaints in this list, though uh, I figured, you know, maybe we could switch it up a little bit. So in this list, uh, I I like I liked The Irishman. I actually enjoyed that movie. I, and again, I'll, maybe I should call that out on all these. I've seen all these movies. So um, I liked The Irishman. I think what they're referring to in here for best visual effects is the de-aging technology that was used in um, Captain Marvel, or I mean, in Irishman, the the stuff that uh, Martin Scorsese did. Now, I'm also gonna I'm gonna give you guys a sneak peek here too. This is something secret. 
Uh, Irishman is getting a lot of dings on my list. I'm taking it off of a lot of categories because I do not think that that movie, comparatively to a lot of the movies that got snubbed today by the Oscars, I'm fine throwing the Irishman out. I think Martin Scorsese is okay not being in the Oscars this year because, uh, and we'll get to it in many of these categories, but specifically for visual effects, the visual effects were terrible in this movie. And I, I say that uh, very exaggerating, exaggeratingly. Uh, basically, when you're watching The Irishman, it is so blatantly obvious that it is just old man De Niro, uh, you know, de-aged by his face. There's a, there's a, if you guys watch the 20 minute, there's a 20 minute behind the scenes thing for Irishman. And in that, and I may have talked about this before, but in that they're talking about like, oh yeah, you know, we did the de-aging stuff, but we also had to tell the actors to act that age. And there's this scene where Al Pacini is, is getting out of his chair in, uh, at home when I think when the Kennedys were winning the election and they were like, they were like, no, no, no. Like you get, you got, you got out of your chair too quick or too slow. You need to get out of the chair faster. Cause in this scene, you're in your fifties, you're not in your eighties. And I'm thinking to myself, like, who cares? Like uh, when I I could I didn't know he was in his 50s in that scene. I still thought he was in his 60s. The de-aging doesn't look that good. It's okay, but when you've got Robert De Niro with blue eyes and a semi-young face, it just looks off. Like it looked it this was on in my opinion, this was on par with Rogue 1's CGI, which is a shocker to me because uh, the de-aging has come so far. Honestly, the the and that's why. So we've got Avengers Endgame not going anywhere. That's staying. You've got not only do you have the great visual effects from all of the battles and fights, the costumes, uh, the Hulk uh, is gorgeous. Thanos is brilliant, and you've also got de-aged Hank Pym that looks really good. Uh, I think there was maybe a little bit of a de-aged with. Uh, um, trying to think of who else, maybe Tony Stark's dad. But maybe not. Uh, but regardless, the de-aging for Hank Pym, in my opinion, was better than the de-aging in Irishman. So um, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that, though, in terms of what I'm going to replace Irishman with. But then we've got 1917, uh, which, I, again, I, it's fine. I'm not in a complaining mood about 1917 at all. It's deserving of its stuff. But in my opinion, I'm wondering what... What were the visual effects in that movie? Because the movie just looked like a war movie. Was there really anything that stood out to me as like, oh, wow, that, that is beautiful? No, no, nothing did. The, the movie itself is a masterpiece, and is, it's gorgeous, it's delicious, but there's no, like, I, nothing in there made me go, wow, those are some amazing visual effects. When I got out of the movie, I was like, wow, amazing story, great movie, and I didn't once even consider there being visual effects in that movie besides, I'm sure, like, some of the planes and explosions and stuff was probably CGI, but I just, to me, that's like, that's that's run-of-the-mill. Anyone can do an explosion these days. So that one's getting switched, too. Uh, but then I'm going to keep the Lion King in, and the reason I'm keeping the Lion King in is because... Uh, I was going to just move this to the best an a best animated movie because I think it's an animated movie, but it's not listed in the animated movies, and I have some other stuff in there too. So we're going to leave it and just give it a best visual effects nomination, um, and that's fine. Nothing wrong with that. Again, really good visual effects. And then Star Wars Rise of Skywalker as well. We're not going to do any editing on that. That had some great visual effects too. So here's my little list of ones that I'm gonna, I would move in, and I'm going to tell you what four on these. We've got Alita Battle Angel, Ad Astra, 
Captain Marvel, and Godzilla, King of the Monsters. So uh, just off the bat, I just put Ad Astra in for 1917. Ad Astra is a beautiful movie and actually does have noticeable visual effects because he's in space, which is impossible in real life. So that's really cool. There's a whole lunar uh, moon landing chase fight scene shootout that is phenomenal. The scene where he's working on like a space station sort of satellite that's in like upper atmosphere so he's actually falling towards earth and it's just uh breathtaking so that's got, sorry 1917 you've got other categories you're gonna be all right uh at astros going in but for irishmen what are we gonna do about the irishmen and i'm thinking to myself okay well what about godzilla godzilla had some awesome visual effects really really good visual effects but there's a lot of spots in godzilla and i talked about this in my review of godzilla there's a lot of spots in there where it is really dark and it almost seems like they're trying to hide something about the visual effects so that people can't see it so that to me and they don't do it all the time but to me that that's going to take it out of an oscar nomination so that one's gone and astro's gone we got captain marvel and alita and I'm, those are both great movies. I, those are awesome movies. But I'm thinking I'm going to put Captain Marvel in for The Irishman because Captain Marvel also uses de-aging, and it is way better. The Samuel L. Jackson, the young Samuel L. Jackson, and the young uh, Clark Gregg, Phil Coulson, both of those are miles, miles ahead of what they did with The Irishman people. Uh, and, and the reason I say that is because when you see them in the movie, you don't go, oh... That, you know, that's CGI. You just go like, wow, they did a good job. That looks good. And not only that, but you're going to get the CGI for everything in space, along with her amazing fight against Yon Rog at the end uh, with, uh, not Yon Rog, I guess Yon Rog, I suppose, but also with Ronan, where they blow up the ship. Uh, that whole thing is just a visual feast. Uh, so that, there we go. So those are your nominees for visual effects. Avengers Endgame, Captain Marvel, Ad Astra, Lion King, Star Wars, Rise of Skywalker. I want to point out something to you too as well, to all of you out there listening. Uh, uh, the Academy, uh, I don't know if I want to actually, it's going to ruin my credibility. The Academy did not email me, all right? Um, I know, I know, I should have been truthful. They didn't email me. But what I want to explain to you is we cannot change what the um, what these nominees and nominations are. We can't change that. Every year we can't change that. We can't. None of us are the ones voting, so we have no say in it. All we can do is deal with the fallout. And at this point, if you're losing your mind over the, the nominations in these movies, you got to find a new hobby, and I'm saying that as nice as I can because there you complaining on Twitter, and I've done it too. And I, I, you should have seen me last year on Twitter. I literally posted my own nominations for all of these in different in a Twitter thread. But <clears throat> you can't really change any of that stuff, so you kind of just got to accept it as what it is and really pray and hope that it's fixed next year. But the beautiful thing is, on here on Comics and Cinema, guys, this is a this is a whole brand new universe. You're listening to me talk. And this universe that we've created between you and me as we're listening, this is our own little slice of heaven. So who cares if, if I'm making up all these new things? Let's just breathe for a minute and pretend that we're living in a sane world where these nominations are the actual nominations. Let's have some fun with it because I promise you, my list is all-inclusive, all-compassing. It's diverse. It's fun. It's got just what the doctor ordered, and that's Dr. Michael Morbius. Um, wait, hold on a minute. Hold on. Hold on. Sorry. I'm sorry. I just got a buzz on my phone. Uh, new email. Wait a minute. 
what? Okay, okay, all right. So this is a comics and cinema first. Okay, so um, uh, John Delphi from uh, the Academy just emailed me, and he said, he, he said, <laughs> he said, Alex, I, uh, I'm, li- I'm listening to your podcast right now. Please submit to me your list once you're done, or I can just type them out as I'm listening. Thank you so much. Uh, I will get these submitted to the Academy. Wow. So guys, that's just another thing where I, that's, that, that is proof that manifestation works. The secret is real. You heard it here on comics and cinema. Uh, Jack Delphi from, uh, the, from the Academy, uh, Oscar himself. He, he's, he's called, he says he's called Mr. Oscar around the office. That's his signature. It says, it says Jeff Delphi. And then underneath it, it says old Oscar himself. This is crazy. So, uh, you know, without further ado, we're going to push on. I'm in a great mood. I can't believe they're going to do all this for me. So, um, just go with it guys. We're in, we're, we're in our own universe. So for costume design, this is a cool category. Um, and I've really gotten into these other smaller categories recently just because there's been so many good movies coming out uh, that really you can be like, wow, like those costumes are awesome or that 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 is awesome. Greatest example of that is uh, was the Black Panther Oscar win for uh, for was it? I don't remember if her name was Ruth. Um, but for a production design and you watch Black Panther and you just go that movie is its production design like it's gorgeous so it was great to see the academy um, kind of realize that so I have some more realizations for the academy here's here's what we've got for costume design the Irishman Jojo Rabbit Joker Little Women and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood fine category again it's like you know I can't do much complaining or can I? I have deleted The Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, and Joker. All three of those are out. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is a really great period piece movie in that sense. And so all of the costumes and, and the, the look and feel, it's a very 60s vibe in that in that movie. It's awesome. So it definitely deserves that nomination. Little Women, same thing. Those costumes were just great. Uh, really felt like a lived-in world. Thought it was awesome. Joker, I can take or leave the Joker at this point for costume design. He's the Joker. What more do you need to know? He looks like the Joker. I don't think you should get rewarded for looking like what you're supposed to look like. Jojo Rabbit, also great, fantastic, but when you see what I've switched it with, you're going to be like, okay, fine. Jojo Rabbit's fine. I don't have a problem with it. I just, there's better ones out there. And then same with the Irishman. Okay, great. Scorsese's able to find uh, technically it's not Scorsese it's it's Sandy Powell and Christopher Peterson you guys did such a good job finding so many suits for these guys to wear and then when they were at the Copacabana having them wear uh tiki button-ups oh it was inspired no you guys are out sorry uh in place of the Irishman we've got Hustlers congratulations Hustlers is now an Oscar-nominated movie uh, which is great because it wasn't beforehand, and that is a damn shame. So now it is. It's an Oscar-nominated movie, Jeff. So um, you know, write that up in your article, buddy. I mean, I guess the Academy probably has their own sort of thing. I, you know, for any of you listening, IndieWire, uh, IGN, uh, New York Times, you could feel free to publish this. You're you're free to do so. So the hus- hustlers obviously great costumes in that right there's there's a ton of different costumes all of the girls wear yeah i get you could probably call costumes bikinis and sometimes they they weren't wearing anything fine but the 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 fact of the matter is it was a lived-in world 
and just if when I think of hustlers, all I ever picture is Jennifer Lopez wearing that giant, giant fur coat. That's amazing. I thought that was inspired. I thought that was great. Uh, Jojo Rabbit. We're switching that with Midsummer, which is Andrea Flesh is the. I didn't write down who Hustlers was. I apologize. But for Midsummer, it's Andrea Flesh is the costume designer. And uh, Midsummer, for those of you who have not seen it, that is a uh, Ari Aster movie. He did. Um, uh, what's the name of that movie? Hereditary. Wow, super scary. Midsummer wasn't as scary, but that same thing was about uh, a group of excuse me, a group of people who went to sort of a cult, I guess you could say, and all of them have to wear these sort of like frilly, festive, folkish type costumes, and I thought they were really good, especially all of the women when they're wearing the like uh, the flower crowns. Uh, that was really great as well, so I think I think that should be rewarded over Jojo Rabbit because, again, anyone can dress up like a Nazi, right? Like, you know, people are doing that every day, but um, not like Midsummer. Though my wife did look like uh, one of the people in Midsummer on our wedding. She had the flower thing. Though I will tell you this, my wedding was not as exciting as what happens in Midsummer. Thankfully, obviously, I'm still here and I'm alive. So we're good there. Uh, and then the Joker, we're going to swap that one comic book movie for another. Avengers Endgame, you're in. That is uh, Judiana Makovsky uh, for costume design. And she also did the costume design for uh, a couple of other Marvel movies. But she did it, I believe, I, I looked her up. I think she did it for like Hunger Games, some other stuff. So she's just a, she's been waiting to, waiting to pop off. And uh, Avengers Endgame, you've got, some, you've got every single superhero in the Marvel Cinematic Universe is in that movie. All of them have their own specific costumes, and all of those costumes look awesome. Not only that, but you've got Thanos' new getup, you've got a new Iron Man suit, and obviously, I, I understand some of that stuff is not, uh, it's like more CGI than a costume design, but this is my, these are my picks, so that's going to go to Avengers Endgame as well, so keep it those keeping score Avengers Endgame has now been nominated for two Oscars and uh the Irishman has been nominated for none and and Hustlers has been nominated for more than than uh, Irishman so so there all right makeup and hair uh this is another great category this is this is what I like to call the makeup and hair category where basically you know if there's a movie where somebody has a ton of makeup on the elephant man uh what was the winston churchill movie the darkest hours or whatever basically those movies when you look at it you go oh, okay they're gonna win um that's what this category is and and none more apparent than this year because we've got nominees for bombshell no doubt for uh, Charlize Theron's um, makeup and hair, plus obviously everyone else, but they really made her look like Megyn Kelly, and it worked, and I thought it was awesome. So this is one of the few that I don't have a lot of edits on. So Bombshell's good to go. Joker, good to go. Come on. he The Joker looked great, and so did everyone else in that movie in terms of the makeup and hair. Worth it. Judy, fine. Same thing. I'm sure the makeup and hair looked great. I have not seen Judy. So that's the first movie on here that I haven't seen. I don't know if I even want to see it. I, I, it's that to me is a Renee Zellweger, uh, um, vehicle movie, like a please nominate me for the Oscars movie. And so we'll, we'll get to that as it comes. Um, Maleficent mistress of evil, same thing, makeup and hair. And that was fantastic. And then I substituted 1917, which was the final one. 
uh, because again, it's just soldiers. Like there's, I don't think there's really anything fancy going on there, unless you want to consider all the dead bodies, then fine, I guess you can do that. And it's worthy of its, uh, nomination, but instead I've substituted it for hustlers because same thing, right? We've got a bunch of, uh, beautiful women whose job is to allure people. So the, the makeup and hair in this was great. It was fantastic. There's even scenes of them in their changing room, putting on hair and makeup. So, you know, why not? All right. Best original song. I am letting all of these stay. And the best original songs, for those of you who don't know, we've got I Can't Let You Throw Yourself Away from Toy Story 4. I'm Gonna Love Me Again from Rocket Man. I'm Standing With You from Breakthrough. I have not seen that movie. Into the Unknown, Frozen 2. And Stand Up, Harriet. I've not seen Harriet either, though I really do want to see that movie. I have substituted I'm Standing With You for Breakthrough. I'm getting rid of that and exchanging it for Speechless from Aladdin because I thought the songs in Aladdin were really good and that was a fresh new song. I did not like the song in the context of the movie because it completely lost me. I was like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, what's happening? Everyone's disappearing. Um, but as a song, it was a really good song, really powerful song about standing up for yourself and you know speaking your truth. Uh, so that was great. And then uh, we've got, ooh, this one's going to be a fun one to talk about. Original, Best original score. Before we get into it, I want to say what a shame it is that there is not a best original sound, or not original soundtrack, a best soundtrack, a movie soundtrack, uh, because I would have one nominee in that, and that is Waves, uh, and I just wanted to call that out. So best original score nominations are Joker by Hildur Guanadadir. Little Women by Alexandre Desplat, uh, Marriage Story by Randy Newman, 1917 by Thomas Newman, Randy's brother, Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker by John Williams, and The King by Nicholas Brittel. I've not seen The King, but I will by the time Oscars comes out because it's on Netflix. Um, but I've seen all the others. So um, I think The Joker is an, is appropriate. I've left that one in, and I think Little Women is appropriate as well. It was a very, very nice uh, soundtrack there. Marriage Story, I could take it or leave it, so I'm going to take it, or I guess I'm going to leave it, uh, and I am substituting Marriage Story for uh, Avengers Endgame, Alan Silvestri. Uh, his score, in my opinion, was the best soundtrack of the year, and I don't say that because I'm a Marvel fan. I say that because I am a fan of really good scores. You've got jazz sequences in that score. You have the portal scene. I mean, just go on I, I, Apple Music and check it out. It's like 30 tracks, and they're all really good. A lot of them are very different. Um, it's just uh, Alan Silvestri really stepped up his game. He was able to blend in prior themes from the prior movies. It's just it's really a, an exercise in uh, excellence in my eyes. So Alan Silvestri. Um, oh, and, and I apologize. I guess we should have probably called this out as we're going. But um, for visual effects, I am going to give uh, I guess I got actually we're going to we're going to we'll save that for a different Oscar episode where I actually pick the winners and uh the winners and losers uh for my that'll have my actual predictions of the oscars at that time so um but yeah there you go 1917 i'm fine with leaving that in that was a really good soundtrack same with star wars it it wasn't the best star wars soundtrack but it was a good star wars soundtrack and i, I really liked it it's fine being up there the king i am substituting it out i don't care that i haven't seen it because we have forgotten they have forgotten the the academy has forgotten us by Michael Abels, 
the sound the score for us is incredible uh he's able to blend in a lot of rap stuff in that score uh along with the c- come on you got the which oh was just so good and then there's the i still have a lot of that score on my phone i listen to it quite a bit my those are honestly those are probably my favorite two soundtracks movie wise this year were avengers endgame and us so those so we got that in there and you're welcome i just made the original score category i was gonna say i made it a little more diverse but i bet you michael michael abels might be he might also still be a white man but we'll see we're gonna get there we're gonna get there trust me production design this is a big one i wanted to take these next few seriously too production design sound mixing and sound editing to the point where i actually googled for my own my own knowledge the difference between sound editing and sound mixing i always forget it along with production design as well i wanted to confirm what that was because i needed it fresh on my mind um well 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 um okay yeah um, I want to say this too before, as we get to the end of this, I know a lot of you have been asking about this. John Wick three is not in the Oscar nominations. That is, that is the biggest snub of my list. I can't believe it. But as you'll listen to these, you're going to kind of see what my top films are of the year, because a lot of them are making their ways into this list, but I'm just letting you know, John Wick is in my top films of the year, but I couldn't find any categories to give it. I'm sorry, John. Um, so this one, actually I left, this is completely is going to stay the same. I'm fine with all of these. I think they're all great. Production design, The Irishman uh, for Bob Shaw and Regina Graves. I agree. I think the production design in that movie was fantastic. You got three hours worth of different cityscapes, streetscapes, indoor, outdoor, different states, different situations. I thought it was really, really well set up. Same with Jojo Rabbit. A lot of really cool spots you got when they're, um, you know, in the camp. You've got the uh, the stuff when he's at home or when he's walking around in the city when the bombs are going off. Thought that was great. 1917, don't even need to say anything more, obviously. Same with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, obviously. Great. And then Parasite, which I thought was fantastic too. Great production design in that one as well. So for all of those, I am totally fine with that list. Nothing in there makes me it makes me angry. Here's my thought though. Sound editing and sound mixing, though. So for those of you that don't know, I read a really, really great article about the difference between sound editing and sound mixing. So for those of you that are still on here, I'm going to go over that with you. So maybe you'll have a little, you'll be a little bit more educated as well. So this article likened it to, um, to photography, I guess they kind of made it seem like, but essentially sound editing is the actual making and editing of sounds. So almost any sound that you hear in a movie, a door slamming, a gut punching, a uh, a this, that, or the other, for the most part, those sounds are not coming from when it's being filmed. Those are coming afterwards, and someone is creating those sounds and putting them in, which is really cool to me. That's really awesome. Sound mixing is when you sort of, I guess, mix those sounds together in a sense. So the way that they equated it, and I'm gonna, I'm actually, I'll, I'll pull up the article right now just so that we, we have a clear idea of what the difference is. Sound editing versus sound mixing. Okay, is, um, oh yeah, the, yeah. I clicked on a New York Times article first, and it said you need to subscribe, and I was like, see ya. And so I went to this other one that is, uh, it was just a, uh, it's for like a film school sort of thing. So it says, um, okay, here's what it was. And I think this is a really cool way to look at it. It's comparing it to photography. Sound editing would be the equivalent of taking a picture 
and then changing it to make it look better with a filter or rotating or cropping it. Sound mixing, you take that photograph and then put it into Photoshop and add elements like text, colored background, or more images. So sound edit, it says, so sound editing is the basic piece. Sound mixing is putting all of those pieces together to make a final finished product. So um, for the Oscars, sound editing is about the creation of sound effects. And then for sound mixing is about kind of the organization. I guess you could say sound mixing is the final product. It also says here, which is cool, sound editor is like the composer, but then the conductor is the sound mixer. So really cool to look at it that way. But even if, if you're still kind of scratching your head, I don't blame you. In my eyes, they should just have the best sounding movie. There should just be one category because it's really hard to differentiate the differences. And so here's what we've got. For sound editing, Ford v. Ferrari, The Joker, 1917, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Star Wars. And I think those are all fine. I really don't have any issues with them. But if you're asking me, and the, clearly the academies are, I've removed The Joker for Avengers Endgame because there are more sounds in Avengers Endgame. There's explosions and there's there's this, that, and the other. Costumes coming on and off. The, the, the sound that the costumes make when they're going back in time. The, how about the throwing of Thanos' sword as it goes into the van? Uh, Captain Marvel punching through a spaceship. There's so many great sounds compared to the Joker sound, which I'm sure the reason they put it on there is because there's this sound. <laughs> that is not a sound. That is just a laugh. Uh, and then I've removed Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which, again, no problem there. But I'm just putting it in with Ad Astra. And the reason for that is because Ad Astra is also nominated for Sound Mixing. So I have now even both of these. So essentially for sound mixing and sound editing, it's Ad Astra, Ford Ferrari, Avengers, 1917, and Star Wars. Now, when it comes to real life, they're just a touch different. But again, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And I, I don't have no complaints about it. But it's just weird to me when I'm looking at it and going, okay, Ad Astra has been nominated for sound mixing but not sound editing. You can't have one or the other. I feel like you got to have it in both. Uh, but no, so not too many. I would just add Avengers to to the list, essentially, because it sounded amazing. Uh, so those are those ones. We're now getting into... Ooh, okay, this will be a fun one. Film editing. Uh, this is uh, essentially how the movie looks, I guess you could say. You know, how it's clipped and cut. So, you know, there's certain people that you can really tell are good at editing or, or just kind of a either that creator has a good editor. But typical movies like that are uh, Taika Waititi movies uh, are usually really well edited as are um, who's the best. The best example I can give you is Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright's movies are so well edited. Um, but so for this list, we've got Ford v. Ferrari, The Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, Joker and Parasite, uh, which is great. Again, I'm really glad that Parasite is getting as much love as it is getting, and we're going to get to... I'll have my final thoughts at the end, but I'm just... I'm happy that Parasite's been going where it's going. I don't get why Joker is going where it's going, though. So, Ford v. Ferrari. We're going to leave that one in, too. I would say... The best parts about Ford v. Ferrari are the sounds and the edits because you get really quick cuts to, uh, wait a minute, did he not get nominated? Wow, never mind, oh, wow, I just now, just now realized that Christian Bale did not get nominated 
for best actor or even supporting actor for Ford v Ferrari. Wow, uh, wouldn't have guessed it. I'm actually shocked, and I, in a good way though. I didn't think he needed to be on there, but wow. Okay, so if we have Ford v Ferrari, fine, I, uh, great. The Irishman, come on. What what edits do you remember in that movie? Were there any quick cuts or or do do do's? No, there were not. There were a lot of long shots, which hey, I'm fine with. But to me. I don't think that one should be on there. I've substituted for Avengers Endgame by Jeffrey Ford and Matthew Schmidt, specifically because not only is that movie edited better than The Irishman, no argument there, but Jeffrey Ford was actually the one that I think, if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, I'm pretty positive, he's the one that came up with the idea for Tony Stark to say, I am Iron Man at the end, uh, because he was the one doing the editing, and he was like, hey, this would sound really good. And so it was his suggestion that went in there. So that's that deserves an Oscar just by itself. Jojo Rabbit, I'm okay with. That's fine. Taika Waititi, like I said, his movies are really well edited. I have substituted The Joker for Knives Out because that movie was also really well edited, if you remember. Really well edited. Don't know why that's not in here. That's Bob Duxay who did that one. So congratulations, Bob. You're on the list. Film editing. All right. Best foreign language film. I have not changed anything on this list. The foreign language films, and I have not seen any of these movies except for Parasite, are Corpus Christi, Honeyland, Les Miserables, Pain and Glory, and Parasite. Kind of thought that A Portrait of a Woman on Fire would have been on here, but I guess not. And uh, um, yeah, so no, no no issues there. I hope Parasite wins. Uh, best live action short. Uh, I'm just going to read these off. I have not done any edits on any of these shorts and documentaries just because I, don't, I haven't seen any of them. But the live action short films are Brotherhood, Nefta Football Club, The Neighbor's Window, Soraya, and a sister and then best best doc- documentary short subject in the absence learning to skateboard in a war zone life overtakes me st louis superman and walk run cha-cha now best documentary feature i have some thoughts on uh i don't care really because you know i'm not as partial to documentaries you know they don't bother me but the documentary features are american factory the cave the edge of democracy for Sama and Honeyland. Now, if I had it my way, I would have just, I don't, again, I don't know who I would have taken out or deleted, but I feel like Apollo 11 should have been on there. That was a really good documentary about the Apollo 11. And then also Knocking Down the House, which is on Netflix. That's a, a documentary about Alexandria, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and the other uh, female freshman force that uh, stormed uh, the government, I guess you could say, or stormed the what the white, I keep on, stormed DC, basically a bunch of um, women who, who were rising up in their towns or their cities, their jurisdictions to win their seats. And I, it's a, it's a really good documentary. It mostly follows AOC, but it follows some of the other ones. Obviously it follows her more because she ended up winning. And uh, I don't think any of the other women did one of them. One of the other ones may have, but she was the big win out of it. And, and I think she's phenomenal. So I'm really glad that, 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 was a, a you know documented to see her her how happy she was about that and then obviously it's not a documentary but it should be in here is Mr America uh, by Tim, with Tim Heidecker I would put him as best best documentary feature just because it, it's technically a documentary uh, but so no moving on oh and then we'll just jump to this just in case so animated shorts Desera Hair Love Kit Bull Memorable or Memorable and Sister have not seen any of them either. All right, here we go. We're getting into some of the bigger categories. Cinematography. 
this is how a movie looks. So this is typically the, the man behind the camera guiding the lens as it moves to and fro. Uh, typical people that you can tell, oh, this is, you know, this cinematographer, I'd say Emmanuel Dubitsky, uh, Chivo himself, and uh, Roger Deakins as well. Uh, and really those are the only two that kind of pop in my head. I'm trying to think if there's any others, but those guys, it's like when you see a movie, you know, they're the ones who made it, but here's what we've got as a list. The Irishman, Rodrigo Prieto, Joker, Lawrence Scher, The Lighthouse, Jaron Blaschk, 1917, Roger Deakins, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Robert Richardson. So here's what I'm going to do. Same thing. Irishman and Joker are gone. They're gone. They don't exist anymore. Those there's Joker was a okay, but I'm I'm moving in Ad Astra. Hoyt Van Hoytema. That movie is is uh the cinematography I think is better than Joker. Joker's a, it's it's a tough one, but here's what here's the other one. Irishman is gone. I'm putting in a hidden life which I thought was direct, was cine- cinematographized by Chivo, but it's actually Jorg Widmire. But if you've seen Hidden Life, you would understand why I have that on here. I would think, in my eyes, with this new list, it's going to be between A Hidden Life, 1917, and Lighthouse. I think The Lighthouse is a cinematic masterpiece as well. Deserves its only nomination in here in real life. Unbelievable. But hey, I got to take what I can get. The Lighthouse is now an Oscar-nominated movie. That's fantastic. That's great. Um, but hey, whatever. So, you know, Ad Astra and Hidden Life are in here now. So Hidden Life's an Oscar-nominated movie. Congratulations. All right. Um, the next one. Here we go. We're getting into the good ones. Um, actually, let's just jump into anime. I'm going to put animated feature up here. So an- best animated feature. How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. Oh, that's appropriate, I say. I lost my body. I haven't seen it, but I looked at it. Looks like it's good. Klaus by Netflix. Gone. I've replaced it with Frozen 2. Uh, Missing Link and Toy Story 4. No other real conversation around there. There weren't really any amazing uh, animated movies this year in my eyes. Last year, way better. But, uh, you know, like I said, we take what we can get. So next up is Best Original Screenplay. This is a, uh, an interest. These are some of the ones that I, lo- I love talking about these. So for Original Screenplay, this is something based on nothing. We've got Knives Out. we got Ryan Johnson. Marriage Story, Noah Baumbach, 1917, Sam Mendes and Christy Wilson Cairns, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Quentin Tarantino, and Parasite, Bong Joon-ho, and Jin Won-han. I am, I I think this is a great list. I have no complaints, honestly. I, I think it's fine. But... I am replacing 1917 because it is a. Ve- I, I'm sure the script is beautiful. It's amazing, but we're having fun here. I'm getting rid of 1917, and I'm replacing it with Booksmart, which is by Emily Halpern, Sarah Haskins, Susanna Fogel, and Katie Sieberman. Uh, well-written movie, really amazing movie, and it's an original movie. So I think that's fantastic. Plus, boom, there's four women in this list now, all for that movie. And I, I would be happy if that one won. I think Booksmart was phenomenal. I've also added one extra category because I don't think five is not appropriate, especially when the best adapted screenplay has six. There's six best adapted screenplays, but there's only five originals. So I need to add one. And what am I going to add? Honey Boy by Shia LaBeouf. That deserves a nomination because that was Shia's real experiences. He wrote that stuff in therapy. And this whole movie, this whole Honey Boy movie is his therapy piece. I 
And it was incredible. I thought it was a really good look at his life. So I, I think he needs to be nominated for that for sure. So congratulations, Shia. You've just made your writing debut. Boom. There we go. All right. Adapted screenplay. We've got The Irishman by Steven Zalian. Wait a minute. So Martin Scorsese didn't even write that movie? What? I, I knew that already. I'm just saying, like, what did he actually do? And, oh, man, guys, I don't want you thinking I hate Martin Scorsese. I don't. I don't. We're going to get to my thoughts when we get towards the end. But uh, he just, I, was it on, was cinematography Irishman? Roger, yeah. What The movie, like, when I got done watching The Irishman, I just was like, and I said this in the podcast, how is this, what is a Martin Scorsese movie anymore? Like, what actually is a Martin Scorsese movie? And what I've realized now a Martin Scorsese movie is a movie focused on somebody that you should not like, but is presented to you in such a way that is to be bias-free, and you're just supposed to make your own judgments. Like The Irishman, Wolf of Wall Street, all his gangster movies, they're all just, here's what's going on. Here's Robert De Niro as a really bad guy, but is he really a bad guy? That's up for you to decide. That's, to me, that's a Martin Scorsese movie. It has nothing to do with the script. It has nothing to do with the direction or the cinematography. I, you, it's, it's a very, ba- they're basic movies. They just happen to be really, really good movies. Uh, just like I'm sure he would say that a lot of the Marvel movies or other movies like that are basic movies that are just happen to be really, really good. So, adapted screen, he didn't even write the screenplay. So, Irishman, Jojo Rabbit by Taika Waititi. Uh, Joker, Todd Phillips and Scott Silver. Just Mercy by Destin Daniel Cretton and Andrew Lanham. Little Women by Greta Gerwig and The Two Popes by Anthony McCartan. Great list. Honestly, don't really care in terms of, uh, you know, switching things. That's fine. But hey, we're going to do it anyway. So the Joker is going to be removed because, again, it was not some shocking script. It was not some shocking story. It's just a story about the Joker. I... I get the buzz around Joker and around it being a great movie and uh, Joaquin Phoenix killing it. I don't disagree with that. I just do not think that it deserved 11 Oscar nominations when there's other movies out there that deserve way more than that. So the Joker is out. Dolomite is my name is in. That was a great screenplay. The, The hilarious movie, really funny and well done. And The Two Popes is also gone replaced by Avengers Endgame. That's Christopher Marcus and Steve McFeely. Uh, we got to give them something for all the work that they've done all these years. They're they're essentially the equivalent of Leonardo DiCaprio when it comes to the writing category. Never, I mean, they haven't been nominated, but you know, same thing. Like, never been nominated. They're going to get nominated now. All right, so that's the screenplays. We're done. Ooh, guys, we are on to the, and right now, right at the hour mark too, we are on to the big categories. And I got to tell you, I'm looking at my... <laughs> These are heavily edited. So this is where the fun, this is, as uh, Anakin Skywalker would say, this is where the fun begins. So, Best Director. The Best Director nominations are Martin Scorsese for The Irishman. This is what I was waiting on. I just shared my thoughts on that. I don't think, no, no. Okay, Todd Phillips, Joker, Sam Mendes, 1917, Quentin Tarantino, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Bong Joon-ho, Parasite great list fine but wait what they're all dudes wow here's my advice for the for the academy going forward add like a cup like three more slots if you added three more slots you could fill in all of these people that i'm about to suggest including greta gerwig she does not make the cut i'm sorry greta 
It's just that these other two definitely did. So Martin Scorsese, you're gone. In replacing Martin Scorsese, we have Lulu Wang for The Farewell. And then also replacing Todd Phillips for The Joker, because again, what, what, what? Here's 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 the funny thing. Here's what I'll say. This is this is the funny thing. So, um, for Todd Phillips, the Joker, we're removing Joker and we're putting in Olivia Wilde for Booksmart. So tell me, for those of you who would disagree with this, why? Just tell me why. Why do you think? And and you can substitute it for either or. Why do you think Todd Phillips or Martin Scorsese deserve a nomination over Lulu Wang or Olivia Wilde? Go ahead. I'm listening because there are no women nominated in this, and these women deserve to be nominated over Todd Phillips and Martin Scorsese, who Martin does not need this at all. He, he needs no validation, nor does that movie deserve a lot of validation. It deserves it for in some other categories, which uh, I've, I have acknowledged. But um, Todd Phillips as well. There's nothing insanely special about the joker other than it being an all-around great movie you if you went into it without knowing anything you wouldn't be like oh this is a todd phillips movie and i guess you could argue that about other things but we gotta get some women in there guys like we can't it's not a sausage fest unless that's the movie that's being nominated but not this year so um so there we go lulu wang and olivia wilde congratulations you guys have both been nominated for an oscar that's great but now we're getting we're digging real deep here. So supporting actress. Uh, Kathy Bates for Richard Jewell. Laura Dern for Marriage Story. Scarlett Johansson for Jojo Rabbit. Florence Pugh, Little Women, and Margot Robbie, Bombshell. Very strange list. Um I do not buy okay, so I have gotten rid of Kathy Bates. Sorry, you're gone. Laura Dern, sorry, you're gone. Both of which, you guys are not even really in the movie that much, and Laura Dern is just being Laura Dern, and Kathy Bates is also kind of just being Kathy Bates. Scarlett Johansson, also gone. Scarlett, you got nominated for Best Actress. You want a supporting as well? And it's fine. Again, not a super huge complaint. This is this is my list. I'm fine with Scarlett Johansson. I just, I found someone better. <coughs> Excuse me. Florence Pugh, you get to stay. Congratulations. She did a great job in Little Women. Plus, I do not have her nominated for Midsummer or Fighting With My Family, but she did a great job in both of those, so she's still getting a nomination. Margot Robbie, I'm sorry. You're gone as well. Um, you did not do that. I, I would give I would give a nomination to, um, to Charlize Theron over you, but both of them did not get a nomination. I've deleted both of them just because there's nothing about their performances that really screamed at me versus these other characters so who are we adjusting you're about to find out and this um funny enough too because i'm looking at this list and i'm pretty sure these are all white women um i think johansson i get i don't know it doesn't matter here's what we've got though jennifer lopez for hustlers you knew it was coming of course she deserved it no questions asked Yeo Jung Jo for Parasite. That is the mom. Not the mom of the family that the movie's about, but the mom of the uh, family that is being taken care of. So uh, the one who has the daughter who's uh, in school and the son who paints the monkey picture or whatever. Um, she did a fantastic job. I thought she did great. She had some really great scenes, did a really good job of, of having that sort of wonder. Uh, I really, I, I think she deserves it and more than Laura Dern. Aquafina for the farewell. You knew it was coming. 
Um, she also deserved it and wasn't here. And then um, Beanie Feldstein for Booksmart. I thought she did a great job too. So boom, there you go. There's your new list of supporting actresses. Um, but so yeah, I got rid of almost all of them. But hey, I got rid of almost all the supporting actors too. Supporting actors. Tom Hanks for A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Anthony Hopkins for Two Popes. Al Pacini for The Irishman. Joe Pesci for The Irishman. Brad Pitt for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I have gotten rid of everybody except for Brad Pitt. And the reason for that being, okay, and I have not seen Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Come on. That's all I got to say about that. Uh, the Two Popes. Fine movie. Wasn't a bad movie, but it did not it does not deserve comparatively to these other people I'm about to switch it to. Al Pacino and Joe Pesci. No, 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 no. Just because you've thrown on a bunch of makeup and go, it, it is what it is. Tell them, tell them it is what it is. Okay, that doesn't get you an Oscar. I, but again, if Joe Pesci wins, congratulations, because I love Joe Pesci. But again, I am not picking the people I love. I'm picking the people that I thought did the best job. So here's what we've got. Instead of the double Irishman, we're doing a double lighthouse. Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson for the lighthouse. Boom. Both of them did a standout phenomenal job. Shia LaBeouf for Honey Boy and Peanut Butter Falcon. He deserves it for that. No questions asked. And Sterling K. Brown for Waves. Incredible movie, and um, he deserved it as well. So now, boom, there's there's your better supporting actor list. Uh, next up is lead actress. Now we're gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna have a caveat here. I wasn't quite sure if these two people that I switched are lead actresses, uh, but I'm gonna assume they are for this podcast. So lead actresses. We've got Cynthia Erivo for Harriet. Again, I haven't seen that movie, but I really want to. And she got nominated for a Golden Globe, so we're not going to move her. She's fine. She deserves it. It sounds like she deserves it. Scarlett Johansson for A Marriage Story. Same thing. Give it to her. She killed it. Saoirse Ronan for uh, Little Women. Same thing. Great job. She can stay. Charlize Theron for Bombshell. Like I said, just I'm, I'm switching her for Constance Wu in Hustlers. Uh, because I think Constance Wu did a phenomenal job in Hustlers, and she made me feel more emotion than Charlize Theron did. There were other women. What's funny is the women who are not the main characters in Bombshell did a better job of making me feel something than the main characters did. And that must I don't know. That just must have been the way that it was. And then the final one, Renee Zellweger for Judy. Again, I've not seen it, but I kind of seen it, if you know what I mean. So we're going to switch that one to Lupita Nyong'o for Us. And that's what I meant. I don't. I didn't know if either of them are actually lead actresses, but give it to them. And then at that point, we now have same thing. We've got. I've got. It's just a little more inclusive and diverse in those groups, and also more deserving, in my opinion. So we're getting down to the nitty gritty. We've got two more lead actor, Antonio Banderas for Pain and Glory. Have not seen that movie. I'm probably a good movie. Leonardo DiCaprio for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Did not expect that. Adam Driver for Marriage Story. Give it to him. He deserved it. That was great. Joaquin Joaquin Phoenix for Joker. Honestly, I hope he wins. I hope he wins because that's a comic book movie. But at the same time, what like every person who plays the Joker is going to get a nomination because they're they're twisted and edgy? I don't know. I don't know. Um, but that's fine. Again, congratulations. And then Jonathan Price for Two Popes. Again, a good congratulations to Jonathan. But I got to bump you and Antonio. You guys are gone. See you both. We are replacing Antonio Banderas with Eddie Murphy for Dolomite Is My Name. 
Uh, it's a resurgence. It's the summer of Eddie. It's not really, but it's he did a great job in that movie and, and really brought the feels for me in that in my eyes. But here's the big one and something that I know. Ooh, you guys are going, ooh, I hope he says who I think he's going to say, and I do. All I got to say is these diamonds are uncut. Why are all my gems uncut? Oh, my God. I got to put a bet in at the sporting rink. Oh, what are you guys doing? I'm trying to run my jewelry store. What's going on? Oh, my God. That is my really bad impression of Adam Sandler for Uncut Gems. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I was shocked that he didn't get nominated, and uh, it definitely deserves a, nom- a nomination for him. Woo! Almost lose my voice. But here's what you guys were waiting for, all right? I saved the best for last. Best picture. Here's also what I'm going to say about this. Like I said, I've seen all of the best picture nominations. Do I agree with them? No. Will I ever agree with them? No. But this list is a pretty good list. When we're comparing it to the crap that came out last year, specifically Green Book, the fact that Green Book even won, I don't even remember that movie. Like that, I, I shared, actually, I should pull this up. I shared that with someone today on, on uh, the Marvel Studios News Discord. Uh, we were talking about um, uh, just the nominations, I guess, in general. And uh, I someone had asked me what, basically, like what they said, oh, you didn't like Green Book? And I said, and here's, I'm just going to quote what I said, that way you guys have it too. I didn't like it as an Oscar contender, certainly not as an Oscar winner. It was a paint-by-numbers story designed for the Academy, and you guys know it was. The safe pick to let people know the Academy is diverse, like, oh my god, racism. Guys, racism is bad. Did you know that? These Academy members are looking at each other like, well, wait a minute, this guy's going, this... Uh, Mahershal Ali is going into a bar and these people are being mean to him. What did you? That's insane. Why would they do that? They're in the deep south. That's crazy. Everyone should be nice to everybody. Like it's the safest pick for and and that's the problem is there are no safe picks this year for that sort of thing. The the movies that deal with race, the shows that dealt with race this year, they're not safe. They're ones that you actually have to take a hard look at. And um, that's kind of what I was saying was it's just they. I said none of they, they're things you actually have to wrestle with about race stuff like in waves and in um, I'm trying to think of what some of the other ones were um, there was a call I mean the big one obviously is like Watchmen but that wasn't a movie unfortunately so um, so here's your list and all I'm saying is I'm grateful at least if we can look for a silver lining here it's that the movies that were nominated here they're all good movies I. I'm trying. This is this may be the first time where every single movie on here did not get lower than a seven, which is great. You don't want to be lower than a seven. My list of movies for the year, my top films, is just sevens and above. So all of these movies are on my list. So that's why it's like no no real complaints. We got Ford v Ferrari, fun movie. They gave that one a seven out of ten. The Irishman, uh, fun movie. I then gave that one an eight out of ten. The Jojo Rabbit, 7 out of 10. Didn't like it as much as I was hoping I did. But, hey, what are you going to do? The Joker, awesome movie, 9 out of 10. Little Women, great movie, 8 out of 10. Marriage Story, oh, awesome movie, 9 out of 10. 1917, wow, 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 9 out of 10. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, 9 out of 10. Parasite, 9 out of 10. Though I am about to substitute a couple 10 out of 10s in here. 
and some other things as well. So we are Ford v. Ferrari. Ferrari later, buddy. Uh, that is being substituted for Avengers Endgame. Boom. We got our we got our, our Endgame nomination. The Irishman. We are substituting that for Waves. That's a 9 out of 10. Avengers is a 10 out of 10. Jojo Rabbit. Gone. In place of it, Booksmart. 9 out of 10. And then Parasite. I am getting rid of Parasite. And I'm substituting it with the lighthouse, which is a 10 out of 10. Please let me explain. You have a category called best foreign film. And then you also have a category called best film or best picture in this case. I do not think that you should be able to be in both categories. That does not make sense to me. If you're in both categories, there should only be one category then. There's no re- Essentially... If Parasite is a best picture and it's a foreign film, then why is there a foreign film category? And that, that would be my suggestion is just get rid of the foreign film category. Oh, but then you're not going to, you know, recognize foreign films. Well, it looks like they are right now. They are nominated, they're nominated Parasite for that. So then, you know, what's your argument there? Well, that's not enough. Okay, well, then we're going to have a foreign film category and not have them in the best pictures because you can't, that's just crazy to me. And obviously it's not going to happen, but you can't win best picture twice in one year. I have a good feeling that Parasite is going to win Best Foreign Film and something like 1917 will just win Best Picture. Fine with that. But just the fact that it's nominated, that's why. There's there's another movie that can take its spot. And that is my Oscars list. So, all in all, like I said, it is a, it is a, a better list, I'd like to think. And I hope you guys think so, too. But, hey, it's my list. So, I get to call it whatever I want. I get to nominate whatever I want. And apparently... Come February, you guys are going to get to see my nominations on screen. Thanks to Jackie Delphi, I think was his name. I have to check in that email. I got to send him my list. Jack, thanks so much for listening. Say hi to the kids for me and enjoy uh, editing this stuff. Good luck. I hope the brass upstairs doesn't get too annoyed at all the Avengers Endgame nominations and um, Hustlers nominations as well. So, um, And again, not uh, – I just – a lot of these categories are great. A lot of these, almost everyone who's on here deserves everything that's coming to them in this case. So honestly, I'm really excited for the Oscars this season. I'm, I'm excited to see way, way more excited than I was last year. And, and so if last year, what year was it? Maybe it was three years ago. It might've been the shape of water year. Or maybe it was Moonlight. One of the years I was in Texas and I got to watch the Oscars at my cousin's house. And it was one of the best experiences of my life. It might have been the 91st or the 90th or 92nd, one of them. Um, honestly, I, it was, uh, I think it was two years ago. So not it would have been 20, not 2018, but 2017 in 2018. And um, I had a great time. There was this beautiful... Uh, they had a beautiful montage of movies. It was like an, uh, we love movies and, and every, it was crazy. It was like the, it was the moment I realized that the Oscars are my Super Bowl because all of the commercials that came on in between, I was like, oh man, that applies to me. Oh wow. That's marketed to me. Oh wow. That's for me too. Whereas when I'm watching the Super Bowl, I just get frustrated at all the commercials. Cause I'm like, how can people be this dumb? Like, yay, dilly dilly for, for Bud Light. Cool. Like let's, let's dumb our society down. Um, so I, I was like, oh wow, I love the Oscars. And then 
the whole Green Book situation and, and a lot of the other nominees from last year too, it was just, it was a boring Oscars for sure. I did like the fact that there was no host and there's no host this year either. So that'll be nice, but I'm really excited. This is going to be a fun Oscar. So like I said, wrapping up, I will have an episode and it, I'm shooting to have it be me and my brother. Uh, we will go over our top movies of 2019 along with our Oscar predictions. So this will probably be a podcast that comes out shortly before the Oscars, which will give us time to kind of finish the last little leg of 2019 movies, which aren't a lot. Like I said, I kind of want to try and see Harriet and watch The King and a couple of other ones like that. But that'll be that'll be our next big podcast in between you know these other things. So for now, let's just uh, revel in this brand new list that has Avengers Endgame with a possible Best Picture win. Uh, that's the kind of reality that I want to live in, not not our real reality where uh, the uh, no female females were nominated for anything, and and it just. It just baffles me, but at the same time, it doesn't. It shouldn't. It sh- after this year, it should not baffle you anymore. When you get these Oscar nominations coming out, you should not be surprised when it is not very diverse and not very diverse, whether that's by race, by gender, whatever the case may be. The Oscars are. It's like it's like the government. It's like trying to change the government. And you've got movies that are on here that don't, in my eyes and in many people's eyes, sort of don't deserve to be on there, but they're there because of their campaigning. They're there for things completely irrelevant to the movie itself. And uh, that's just the reality that we live in. So uh, enjoy what you've got. And and kind of just got to, this is one of those things where you got to settle. You, you, there's nothing that you can do. You can't change these nominations. So just pick the ones that you love, watch the movies you love. And then when the Oscars come around, celebrate the movies that you love. So for comics and cinema, I'm your host, Alex Klein, and we'll see you at the Oscars.